Hello Rescuers, welcome back to part 2 of Dungeon Master's Diary episode 31. There was just so much going on this week that I split this into two parts, so I hope you'll bear with me. And if you haven't listened to the first part that went out yesterday, I seriously recommend listening to that first. Anyway, without any further ado... Things he won't share with us, the darkness in his brain, the Dungeon Master's plan... The pleasure and the pain What's better left unknown Keep calling out to me I hear him think out loud To die Only the break shall come Open to page one My name is Che Webster And this is the Roleplay Rescue Dungeon Master's Diary. The Roleplay Rescue Dungeon Master's Diary is the Wednesday bonus episode that features me, a microphone, and whatever gaming-related nonsense flows from my mind. This is recorded in short snippets throughout the average week and then roughly edited together to form a diary of one man's journey in gaming. It's shared week by week. The DM's diary was actually the idea of regular listener Frank Turfler and has a Marmite-like quality. Some listeners love it, some listeners hate it. A few listeners only listen to the DM's diary. Many listeners avoid it like the plague. I keep doing it because, as narcissistic as it feels, I find it has become a useful tool in tracking my own thoughts about gaming. I keep sharing it because some people seem to enjoy listening to it. The DM's diary is raw, glaringly personal, and not for the faint-hearted. Hey, Che, Jason here. Just want to say um, I am looking forward to um, Webster's Grimoire. I, I think that'll be an interesting read. It'll definitely be helpful to people once all that's compiled in one place. Dark Matter is a neat game. I, I, we've talked about it before. I, I I really like it. I, I didn't mind Alternity that much, and... And I think Dark Matter was the best thing to come out of that, to be honest. Um, that version of Gamma World wasn't bad, but the Dark Matter is really neat. I like conspiracies. i <sighs> hesitant to play a game with a global pandemic just because you don't want to make light of a situation where a lot of people are dying, you know? Um, it's the same reason, you know, although I joked with Joe over at Hindsightless about calling the, you know, the, you know, Convid, the, Captain Trips, I I think that was a mistake. I I don't think we should make light of the current situation. I do think you could definitely play a conspiracy game, and I think you could have a lot of fun with it. I I just I I don't know. I I, I would tr I try to steer clear of current politics and current events in my games anyway, just because it you, you know d different people can bring feelings to those kind of things like current religions, right? modern or you know you know what i'm saying but yeah i with the with the current convid stuff i or covid stuff i i don't think i would include a pandemic but a conspiracy game could be a lot of fun definitely and, and there are so many conspiracies i mean there's so many ways you can run with it you know but just a thought either way if you if you end up doing it i'd, I'd definitely be one to play in it but as far as your own gurps dnd hack I don't know. I'd be interested to see what you came up with. I, I know, you know, the names are in quotes, but talk to you later. Hey, Jason. Thanks for calling in. Good to hear from you again. I don't think 
there would be an episode without Jason calling in, what do you reckon? Anyway, I was slightly confused because I don't remember saying I was going to do anything with a global pandemic in uh, in a proposed modern conspiracy horror game, but I might have done, but I doubt it. Um, you're quite right, making light of COVID-19 and the current pandemic is not something I would want to do. But you know what, you can steer well away from that kind of stuff very easily in a modern game but you know all things considered right now i don't much feel like playing in a modern game and please do bear in mind that that last episode you're referring to that was before this all really kicked off right it was bubbling away but it hadn't yet hit so i don't know cut me some slack will you anyway cheers for calling in man game on Tuesday morning and I'm feeling a heck of a lot more positive than I was yesterday so um, yeah that's a nice thing we uh, Deb and I that is we had to sort of get some food bits sorted out today so I popped over to the local Tesco which is about five to ten minutes walk away um, queued up did my hand sanitizing and then um, managed to get some bits and pieces which was good two big shopping bags of things that we needed and um, a few things that were kind of like little treats as well like you know a pack of muffins um, and Deb wanted to buy her team at the hospital um, something for Easter so I got a, a six of those lint bunny things those big ones um, which are kind of sweet and I think it's really nice things to be able to, to, be able to do um, so yeah that was kind of nice and I then went out for my my half an hour exercise today which was positive Coming home, I I um, really de- started to sort of delve into what I want to do with my fantasy role-playing. And um, I think for a long while now, I've had this idea. I think I've been talking a little bit about this idea of um, a low fantasy world um, sort of built around sort of some prehistoric ideas that I've had. But I, I wanted to update that as well. And um, it's been really interesting. Reading Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition has been quite illuminating actually um, and there are a number of thoughts that kind of bubble up from that and first of which is why on earth is this game so vilified um, I didn't play it back in the day but looking at it now and looking back through the lens of so it's 1989 and I've got the 95 revised edition which was republished in 2013 by Wizards but you know looking back at this thing you know which you know that's a game that was released the year I went to university so it is, um, you know, a long while ago now, 30-odd years. Um, but um, I think I see what was sort of trying to be done there, and, and I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. There are a few, you know, there are a number of things in the game that, you know, as I previously kind of alluded to, uh, for example, like any any Dungeons & Dragons game has this problem for me, you know, the classes and how they shape things, the assumptions they bring to a world or a game. But I think what second edition was trying to do was sort of broaden that. And obviously through the follow on uh, complete books, um, I think there was an attempt being made here to sort of broaden the imaginative imaginative possibilities. What I also really felt was strong and and reading through it is, is, you know, it's it's all there is this kind of feeding of options and ideas um and i i quite enjoy reading it to be honest with you um which might sound like heresy to many of my listeners i don't know but there you go that being said i still feel very much that you know the true freedom in in design and gaming kind of comes through gurps and 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 using that as a model but i think i can kind of have 
two games, um, one in each hand at the moment, and um, be able to explore them, which is, you know, a good thing to do. I said a while ago I wanted to sort of do this comparison through the early editions of Dungeons and Dragons, and I think there's very much this going on in my mind, this reading of really early material. Um, I'm playing BX, you know, what is old school essentials, uh, but he's essentially BX. I'm playing that basic expert Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I'm also now exploring advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but not the first edition so much as the second. Um, I kind of moved on in my thinking, I suppose. But looking through those years and all that development in the game is interesting. Um, Anyway, coming back to the world building, I decided that I wanted... I'm not going to talk very much about this, but I am just going to mention this because it's happened today and this is my diary, right? So I sat down this morning and I, I, I sketched out uh, some thoughts um, around something I'm just tentatively calling the Fantastic Isles. And, and really what I did is I asked myself a simple question and I'm just going to sort of repeat it, which is what if I took the geography of the British Isles uh, but placed that within a magical world, a world that was had a different prehistory and in which, you know, the history of the world has sort of moved forward in a different kind of way, a way informed a little by magic, um, but also by um, some fundamentally different assumptions. So what if um, the, what appears to have been this prehistoric matriarchy, what if that had persisted and not been overwhelmed by a patriarchy? What if, what if um, the world was connected by a network of ley lines and um, stone circles, uh, magical gateways? Um, what if the primary worship in religion had remain, remained that of the moon and... Um, perhaps that of the sun and what if the um cultures that kind of evolved and developed yeah had the flavor of our history so that we can somehow relate to it but also were you know just formed um more naturalistically i suppose maybe there wasn't this move you know what if there wasn't this move towards industry as much as a move towards trade and communication but also i mean and that all sounds very rosy and lovely what also if the world had faced a huge cataclysm um the the event called the starfall in which massive impacts had struck the world and the water levels had risen and left you know the the ancient flood was a reality and yet the societies that emerged from that and survived from that were very different. And what if the heritages in the world um, were based around the habitats upon which those people had survived? So the land dwellers, you know, had become taller and perhaps more lithe and perhaps, um, you know, evolved in that way. Whereas those who remained in the mythic underworld uh, had become a little shorter or remained shorter and stockier and of heavier build. And, what if there was, in fact, a mythic underworld? And what if the world wasn't, you know, as we conceive of it today? Perhaps it was a hollow world or something like that. And all of these ideas are just in my melting pot right now. And But I did this morning hop online and I've gone into World Anvil and I have created for myself an entry, the Fantastic Isles. And I'm going to ponder this and plan this and build this because 
it's something I feel I really want. I think it's where I'm at in my hobby right now. I think in some ways I want to not dial back my gaming, but kind of like put my gaming into a sort of an ongoing plod while I allow myself to be creative and to design because that's actually for me what's exciting me and what's interesting me right now and um i could conceive of me running uh, um this world for other people um and i don't know if anyone would be interested but i think that and in this time where you know covid is rampaging through our culture there's an opportunity isn't there for me to be creative to write and design and take time to see what i can um conceive of really and with that in mind i'm just going to stop witchering um and bid you adieu and get back to my thoughts and my plans it's um wednesday morning and i'm uh yeah i'm just sitting down actually with advanced Dungeons dragon second edition i decided what i would do is roll up some characters and i thought i might just do a short center uh segment on the method i'm going to use because one of the things I've been enjoying discovering about 2nd edition Dungeons & Dragons is something that, I don't know, it might have been in 1st edition, but I don't remember it, and I haven't checked. I could easily. The book's not far away. But anyway, Method 6. Uh, myth Method is used if you want to create a specific type of character. It doesn't guarantee that you'll get the character you want, but it will improve your chances. The way it works is each ability starts with a score of 8. You then roll 7 dice, and these dice can be added to your character's abilities as you wish. All the points on a die must be added to the same ability score. For example, if a six is rolled on one die, all six points must be assigned to one ability. You can add as many dice as you want to any ability, but no ability score can exceed 18 points. If you cannot make an 18 by exact count on the dice, you cannot have an 18 score. I like that. I really like it. Um, one of the difficulties I have um, in sort of thinking about running long-term campaigns is... This tension between discovering your character uh, through the random process and being able to sort of design your character. And obviously I tend to favour the latter, being able to design and choose when I'm thinking about a long-term game. I don't much like the idea of getting a random character and then having to play that for a long period. I know that my friends do. Uh, for example, I know Shandy Andy is quite happy to do that, see what he gets me not so much as a player and as a dungeon master I feel like I ought to you know at least offer my players that opportunity and I think I what I quite like here is I think as a GM I would be quite happy to sort of give two or three of these methods as an option they all give slightly different balance of characters but I kind of almost want to throw this to the players and say you know you could use method one roll three dice straight down the line really um but also that you know there are five other methods here that are actually all quite nice. I don't know that I'm particularly interested in um, some of them, but I think offering like two or three, you know, you can roll three d six down the line if you want, see what you get. Um, if I was going to do that, I think I would take the Webster variant, which is to say roll the stat, assign it to one of the uh, attributes, you know, roll the number first on three dice, and then assign it, and then roll the next number, and then assign it. This is something I've really enjoyed doing. But as an alternative method, I think this method six is something I'd very much like to try. And so in the spirit of um, making Dave Aldridge smile, not that he's probably going to hear this, but there you go. Um, I'm going to roll some dice on here now. I'm going to roll seven dice and get started on my character. Here we go. What have I got? 
Um, two ones, a two, a four, and amazingly, three sixes. Game on. It's Thursday morning, and um, I've just been musing about fantasy flavours. So here's my kind of question, and I'd be really interested to hear what people have to say about this, but is it possible to build a setting, uh, a world, for your role-playing game, and then run it with a sort of different flavour, which basically arises from using a different set of rules? So here's my thinking, here's the root of this. I was thinking about my Fantastic Isles um, as a setting that I want to build, and I've already started to build. And um, it had me thinking about what real, rule system like I wanted to use when I run it. Um, and I realised, sort of thinking about it, that the rule system really does matter. Um, because what it affects more than anything else, more than anything else, I think, is it affects the flavour of the fantasy, and I think whilst there are different aims to different games, different goals, um, different styles, if you like, of um, uh, kind of a coming at the game, different purposes for the game. So, for example, there are games that are more gamey and are about much more about sort of challenge and uh, sort of the victory over the various challenges in the game in a more sort of tabletopy type way. And then there are games that are more simulationist, I guess, in the sense of trying to create verisimilitude, a sense of like the world is a real place. And then there are games that are really about the narrative of that world and the stories that arise from it and the characters that were within it in the sense of, you know, telling a good tale. And I, um, and I think there are different games that come at that. Now, my primary flavor i guess in terms of rules has always been a desire to simulate i try to create worlds that are engaging and um in situations that are engaging but i do have that kind of i like i like certain elements of of gaminess as well and i don't mind that being a part of my experience at the table um people who know me know this i guess so I was thinking about this yesterday because I made a character for myself. Um, I made Shen the fighter uh, using those die rolls that I made yesterday. Um, but I had to think about how to build him very carefully uh, with Ad Advanced Dungeon Dragons 2nd Edition that I was using because there's a certain flavour that Dungeons and Dragons has. And especially, um, you know, if you go back um, in the into the editions, there is a certain set of assumptions. So... One of the key assumptions that is like very strong there in second edition, in the core rulebook at least, is this sort of medievalism. And my setting isn't medieval. So a really simple example of where I really had to stop and think, and one of the things that slowed my character creation, I really had to think about carefully, was like what equipment to give him. This is a simple thing. It was slightly tricky because I had to think, well, what armor's right? And you know, in the end, I gave him hide armor and a shield, and he has a spear and a bow. Um, but I even had to think down to what type of bow. You know, like, I went with a short bow because I kind of figured that the long bow felt too medieval. And, you know, I don't think crossbows are right for this setting. This setting is much more primal, um, but still sort of on the cusp of Bronze age And this is the, one of the issues I have is that, you know, I'm sort of sort of proto 
classical Greek kind of flavour being melded with a sort of primordial, primeval, prehistoric kind of fantasy is not something that you come across every day, or at least not something I think you've come across every day. It's part of what makes my Fantastic Isles interesting to me as a setting. So the next question that kind of came was, well, well, you know, yeah, but why not just use GURPS? Because that's the game where you can do what you want. You know, GURPS is total freedom, right? You could absolutely flavour the game any way you want. And there's an opportunity, isn't there, when you use a game like that, that is, you know, a general game, a generic game, um, an open game, where you can customise it in whichever way you go. Um, and yeah, absolutely. That is kind of like what I was, uh, perhaps originally thinking about in a lot of detail. Um, but of course it comes with baggage. GURPS has baggage. The truth is that it's a niche game in a niche hobby and players honestly are hard to find. I have found some players who are willing to tolerate my GURPS play, but my friends honestly aren't amazingly keen on that game as it is. Um, and so that's sort of off-putting to me because if I'm not going to play this, then sort of what's the point? Um, and of course, the other side of that is there is some serious setup involved because you do have to, you're designing a setting, but also along the way, you're having to take those rules and sort of customize them, you know, um, that you have to decide what the parameters are. And I guess you're going to do that anyway, but you have to decide those parameters. Whereas with D&D, for example, there are, some things that just come set up, like the most obvious example is magic. There's the way the magic system works. Now, actually, for me, thinking about the Fantastic Isles, uh, the D&D magic system in Advanced Dungeons and 2nd Edition and even in 5th Edition is jarring because it's very much more sort of high fantasy, I guess, than I was aiming for. Um, but it is convenient, right? I can, it's, it's there, it's done. And this is the trade-off I realised, that you you have um, this, this thing that you can pick up a game. Most games are designed with a certain set of assumptions sort of baked in. Almost every game has a sort of default setting. And default fantasy, you know, that that's what you get with any of the D&D editions, really. I think less so the further back in time. I think with OD&D, that game is so loose that... Yeah, you can you can sort of do what you like descriptively, and and maybe that is a direction to go. That is a genuine option, you know. Um, but the problem with I have with OD and D is structurally as a game, it's not as satisfying for me because it doesn't have some of the gamey things that I like. Um, so, you know, for example, I I do like a bit of oomph in my combat. Um, I was listening to Matt Colville uh, talking about fantasy grounds, and he was saying you know, it's absolutely valid way to play. Many valid ways to play. You know, theatre in mind is absolutely one of those. Um, but for him, he was saying he really enjoys his minis, and and I kind of relate to that. Um, you know, so you can pick up the game like that, and it's convenient. But there is a trade off in flavour. Well, that's what it feels like to me, anyway. So I don't know what to do. And I was wondering, is it possible? to build a setting and run it in different flavors because you run it in different game systems. And so I'm wondering whether it's worth me actually offering out some games in the Fantastic Isles using different systems just to see if it is possible 
to emulate the same setting. So people will tell me, I'm going to get calls, I'm pretty sure of it, saying, of course you can run whatever setting you want in D&D because you can just change the things that you need to change. And I've always been dubious about that. I always felt that every D&D campaign I ever run ended up feeling like the same D&D campaign. Um, maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I need you to guide me. I need people out there to call in and help me with this. But I am, I think, tempted to try. I'm tempted to go with three different engines. Um, so in the background, I'm going to work on GURPS because I know I want to build it in a particular way. But I'm, in the short term, I'm kind of tempted. I just want to get some games in and I kind of want to build the setting. And there's part of me that's just tempted to go and try some stuff out. And, you know, it gels with my other hobby goals. You know, you always have more than one thing to consider. And um, for me, I, I, there's a part of me that wants to try some second edition. So I really, I mean, I've already put out the call. Anyone out there who'd like to have a go at Advanced and Dragon second edition with me, give me a, a go at that. I'm going to run an adventure sometime on Fantasy Grounds using that. But I also think I'm wondering if I can do it with 5e as well um, because that would be cool and it would open up the school club a little uh, down the line but it would open up that opportunity um, but it also open up different players and I'm wondering if I can do it there as well running the same adventures perhaps or the same setting um, areas at least but with you know a different engine and how will that feel and I'm wondering whether just that's an interesting experiment in itself. So I don't know. Let me know what you think. You know, is it possible to build a setting and run it in different flavours with different rules? It's Good Friday and I'm at home and having had a fantastic interview conversation with Steve Jackson from Steve Jackson Games yesterday. Um, and if you haven't listened to that bonus episode, guys, please, I recommend it. It's worth a listen. But anyway, having had that chat with you and spoken a lot about the fantasy trip, I have to admit I'm pretty tempted to uh, dip into it again. And I know that I haven't played the death test, so I think I'm going to take the solo game death test out of the box and have a go at that. That being said, this afternoon I need to prep for tonight's game in Donwynwood. It'll be our fourth session uh, playtesting Gavin Norman's Donwynwood Player's Guide. I did say I was going to play by the book for the first four sessions and then after that we would sort of see where we were at. So um, I, I get a feeling that game will continue. I think the guys are kind of up for that, but they'll have to let me know. Uh, in terms of like whether I'll start introducing any house rules, I'm not sure. I think the game plays quite well actually as it stands on its own and uh, Gavin's additions are pretty cool. Um yeah, it's been a good ride. So uh, thank you to Gavin for involving us in that. I've really appreciated it. I will uh, go do some prep this afternoon and then uh, we'll see how that goes tonight. I've, I have kind of um, have to put a little bit more into that this week because there are a few NPCs that are starting to sort of take form um, and I'm a bit looser on what the heroes will want to do, the characters themselves will want to do. Um so it's going to it's going to be an interesting session. Anyway, I'm going to stop witchering. I'm going to um, I think I'm actually going to throw this together, get this out and ready uh, because I think there's more than enough on this week to make the first episode of the DM's Diary for season six. Thank you so much for joining uh, this season and supporting me in all of my hobby stuff. And I hope that you're well this Easter. Game on. <laughs>